0: Amen. Amen. Go ahead and pull out your Bibles and something that you can take notes with this morning. Happy Easter, everybody. It is good to be in church. It is so good to see everybody. Okay, I'm glad to be in church. I don't know if anybody else is. Go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 28. What's up, Chris? I haven't seen you. Oh, so good. Whenever I tell people I haven't seen you in a while, I feel like it always comes off as like, oh, I'm the pastor. I haven't seen you in a while. And I never mean it like that. I didn't mean it like that. I just love you. Matthew chapter 28 (laughs) is where we're going to be this morning. And you're new with us this morning. You just came in for Easter morning. We're glad you're here. Welcome to church. Your friends and family, welcome to the family here. We love y'all so much and are glad you're here. Open up to Matthew chapter 28. If you're there, say I'm there. Oh yeah, we're working on it. See, even on Easter, church is a participation sport. So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles Matthew 28 and go ahead and stand up for the reading of the Word of God. Matthew 28 starts in verse 1, which would make sense. That seems to always happen when angels are around. We're always like, God, I want you to show up. Like, I want to see you. And then you read about it in the Bible, and it's like every time that happened, people are like, oh, no. I still want it, but you know. (laughs) But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus. Anybody seeking Jesus this morning? I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. There's a go. Why not? Just me, rose from the dead. Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while you were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. The world's always been messed up. You know what I'm saying? So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. I'm seeing a theme here. When they see Jesus, they worship. I want to be like that. But some doubted. Hey, I'm in the Bible too. Look at that. Twelve months plus or so, we have all been experiencing the external forces of our world and our culture trying to form us. Has anybody else experienced that? I mean, I know it's always true, but at least for me, I can say that it seems like this has been happening. It's always happening, but it seems like over the last year plus, it's been happening, at least for me, with a force that I've never experienced before. So if you're new with us, if you're just joining with us this morning, you are coming in for the final part of a 12-part conversation we've been having as a church called Biblical Formation. We've been spending our time together over this first quarter of 2021 aiming in response to this force of culture and life and the world trying to shape us. We are aiming to submit ourselves to the word of God in order to be biblically formed, biblically formed people, biblically formed Christians. We are living in a postmodern, post-Christian culture, and it's trying to form who we are as people and even form who we are as Christians, form who we are as a church. But we are trying to remind ourselves and each other that the culture is not our authority. God is. The world we're living in doesn't tell us how to follow Jesus or how to be Christians. The Word of God does. And so we are on this journey together of learning how do we repent from a self-centered worldview, and how do we be reformed from a self-centered faith? Over these last handful of months, we've talked about being biblically formed in our understanding of the universe, our understanding of humanity, our understanding of brokenness, and this is our final section, uh, is on salvation. What, What does the Bible say about salvation? If any of that sounds interesting and intriguing to you and you haven't been with us, I'd really encourage you to go back on our podcast, our YouTube channel, and check it out, but for this morning... Rather than recapping 11 previous messages, I'm just going to preach a 12th one. (laughs) And I want to give you the last part of our biblical formation series, part three of the section of salvation with a message titled, An Invitation, Not Just a Destination. An Invitation, Not Just a Destination. Some of you know this already, but I grew up just a few minutes down the road from where I stand right now, which is weird. I never thought life would bring me here. Anybody found yourself a place in life you didn't think you'd end up, you know, hypothetically speaking, yeah. Grew up just a few minutes down the road from here. I have amazing parents who, who even when I was growing up, they loved Jesus and were doing their best to follow him. They did their best to raise me to, to know Jesus and walk with Jesus. I was in a Christian school my whole life. I was heavily involved in church my whole life. But And by the time that I got to college, I, I believed in Jesus. I believed in Jesus and I was confident that I would go to heaven when I died. But I still remember waking up one morning at the end, towards the end of my freshman year, waking up one morning and realizing, although I I have actually a pretty great life on the outside, I just knew I was dead on the inside. I didn't need anybody to tell me, preach at me about it. Sometimes you just wake up and you know that you know what's really going on. See, we have all been created to have eternal life in God. But we have all sinned, and we've rejected God. And as a result, we have given ourselves over to death. It's called sin. And in the life and the death of Jesus, we have forgiveness of this sins. Only in the life and the death of Jesus do we have forgiveness of our sins. We just talked about this Friday night. In his crucifixion, we can now receive his righteousness as a replacement for our unrighteousness. Everything is forgiven. We have been redeemed from the wages of sin, and we get to spend eternity with him. And that, my friends, is very good news. But it's not all of the good news. It's not all of the good news. Jesus didn't just die your death to sin. This morning, we celebrate that he resurrected so you could have his life unto God. All right, we're going to try that one again. Because I know it's Easter, and you've heard all this before. But Jesus didn't just die your death to sin. He raised from the grave to give you his life unto God. Romans 6 says it this way. In uh, chapter, chapter 6, verses 10, 11. I don't have it written down, so help me out. Okay, here we go. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, so. I love when the Bible just tells you what to do next. Here's a big bomb, truth bomb for you. He died to sin once for all and now he's alive and you can be too. So here's what you do. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. When we come to Jesus, Jesus tells us that we are born again. We are born again. If you know or are familiar uh, with how, like, birth works at all, it means you get a life. Amen, somebody. You are born again when you come to Jesus, which means you get a whole new life. Salvation isn't just a new destination when you die. It is an invitation into a whole new life. Praise God. I remember waking up that morning that I was telling you about, and I just, I knew, I knew that morning, I knew that morning that I needed to take Jesus' invitation into life. I didn't just need heaven when I died. I needed the resurrection life of Jesus right now. That's what being a Christian is, taking the resurrection life of Jesus, not just taking his death at the cross, but receiving his life at the empty grave, being born again and setting out to live an entirely new life, an entirely new reality only made possible by being, having your sin paid for, being purchased, and therefore having a future in the beautiful name of Jesus. Now, men, I want to talk to you for just a second. Women, this is for you too, but you generally already listen really well. And I got to do a little extra work to get the boys' attentions. <laughs> the Christian life is a life of discipline, but it is not a life of suppression. I don't know about you, but, but somehow I picked up that message along the way, that being a good Christian was about just, like, shoving it all down, because, like, everything's bad. And so just, like, don't. And that's how you be a good Christian. <laughs> But the Christian life is a life of discipline. It is not a life of suppression. Discipline focuses you. Suppression suffocates you. They're radically different things. The resurrection that we are celebrating this morning is an invitation to submit your life Not suppress your life, submit your life to the intentional discipline of a loving and living father so that you can learn how to burn the hottest for the things that matter the most. The world is trying to distract you with what is equivalent to the flicker of a little lighter while your God is an all-consuming fire. And he wants to teach you how to burn like you were made to burn. It's what God made you for. It's what women want from you. It's what children need from you. It's what the world is looking for from you. And on this Easter Sunday, some of you need to decide that it's time to stop just waiting to get to heaven when you die. You've got to embrace this resurrection life of Jesus. And it's time to stop following him less than all the way, way. not because I'm telling you to, but because you know you are dying to do it. All right, ladies, you can start listening now. In Matthew chapter 28, some women go to Jesus' tomb to honor him. I told you women were better. They just know what's up. Like, this is crazy, but we're going to go to Jesus even if he's dead. I'm just saying. (laughs) Why? Guys, like what? We're like, oh, I should sit here and be really bummed. The girls are like, I'm going to Jesus. (laughs) They're like, he's dead. It's all over. Like, we don't even care. We just love him. Like, gosh, why can't I be more like that? Anyways, the women go to Jesus' tomb. They go to honor him, bless their hearts, and Jesus isn't even there. And they find this stone rolled away. The grave is empty. And instead of finding the body of Jesus, they meet some terrifying angels. And they receive this incredible and important invitation. Matthew chapter 28, verse 5. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Like I know that this grave is empty and I'm shining like lightning and all that. But don't be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they begin to. They come and they're just like, no, wow, you're serious. He's not here. Okay, so then they get up and they start going to the disciples like they're told. And in verse 9, it says this, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. They get this instruction from the angels as they're running away, completely confused, just to make things even more confusing. Jesus apparently pops up on the way or something happens, and they actually meet him, and he's like, no, don't stay here. Keep going to the disciples and tell them what the angels said. The angels told them, go to Galilee. Jesus says, go to Galilee. Jesus is not here. He'll meet you there. Go tell my brothers, go to Galilee. I'll meet you there. Galilee sounds important, and for those of you who don't know much of Israel geography, I don't either, but Galilee is not a big deal. (laughs) There's nothing fancy or special in Galilee, but it sure sounds like it. What's the big deal about Galilee? If you turn the page in your Bible, at least in my Bible, one page back, you'll find yourself in Matthew chapter 26, and in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is yet to be arrested and tried and crucified. He's having what we know as the Last Supper, his last dinner with his best friends. And they are um, eating and then they they leave together and they go to a place called the Mount of Olives. We, We talked about that a little bit last week, actually. And then when they get there, Jesus has a conversation with them. If you look at verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away from me. You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though these suckers all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. He's like, I've been with these guys for three years too. They are chumps. You're right, but not me. I'm different. I will never fall away, Jesus said to him. Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, you are out of your mind. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Like, shoot, I should have said that first. Yeah, me neither, Jesus. (laughs) Jesus tells them what's about to happen. And he says, after all of this, I'm going to be raised up and I'm going to go before you to Galilee. After everything that's about to happen, meet me in Galilee. Jesus knew everything that was about to happen. Yes, he he knew that he was going to be betrayed, he was going to be arrested, he was going to be crucified. He knew that he was going to be resurrected three days later. But he also knew that every single one of these guys was going to desert him. He knew every one of them would fail him. None of them were really grasping what it was that he was saying to them. And after everything would happen exactly how he said it would happen, he knew that they would be so distracted by all of their own failures and questions and emotions and fears and frustrations that instead of leaning on him and remembering everything that he said to them, they would focus on themselves and all that they didn't do. He knew everything that was going to happen. He knew all of that was going to happen. He Told them all of that was going to happen. And he makes sure to say at the very end, he gives them this invitation go to Galilee. Go to Galilee. He says it before it happens, he says it after it all happens. I think they should go to Galilee. So, what's the big deal about Galilee? Why did they have to go to Galilee? Again, there's nothing there. If you read the Gospels, apparently there's like a sea there. But there's lots of lakes, you know. What's the big deal about Galilee? Had you turned your page to 26, turn it back to 28. In our first section of our text this morning, we read this invitation again. And again, to go to Galilee and our text ends with verses 16 through 20. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Way to go, boys. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him and some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Before everything went down, the way it went down, Jesus told them how it was going to go down, and he tells them, go to Galilee. After everything goes exactly how he said he would go, it says, go to Galilee. Jesus needed them to get to Galilee because Matthew 16 through 20 tells us because when they got to Galilee, Jesus would give them their calling. They had to get to the place of their calling. They had to get to the place of their commissioning. They had to get to the place where Jesus would call them forward. What's the big deal about Galilee? Galilee is such a big deal because it tells you this morning on Easter Sunday that before they could even desert him, he invited them back into a restored relationship. Before they could even kill him, he invited them into the power of his resurrection. Before they could even think that this whole thing was over, he made it very clear. No, no, I am just getting started. Before they could even doubt him, he invited them to meet with him. The resurrection means that before you could even have a past to be ashamed of, Jesus invites you into the future that you're made for. The resurrection means that Jesus doesn't only make a way where there is no way, Jesus makes a way before there is no way. That is good news. Jesus knew his disciples, Jesus knows you. He knows. He knows that his, he knew that his disciples were going to get stuck in all their failures and their questions and their disappointments. They were going to get so stuck in themselves. I get so stuck in myself. I Ask my wife. Oh man. I get so stuck in myself. Get so stuck looking at myself. Get so stuck thinking about myself, I get so stuck, worked up about myself, I get so stuck, he knew the disciples would get so stuck, and so he raises from the grave, some angels come down, roll away the stone, Jesus walks out of the empty grave, I would have like made a phone call first, I'm like, hey buddy, come here, watch this, you're not gonna want to miss this, but instead he just shows off for the guards, And then they accept some money and not tell them. Suckers, you know. He raises from the grave, the angels come, and then the women come. He probably knew the women would come, too. That's probably why he told the angels to sit there. (laughs) He's like, trust me, the guys, they are not coming. (laughs) The girls are going to come. And so you just need to be ready to tell the girls to go tell the guys some stuff because the guys ain't coming. (laughs) So what does, he, what does he tell the angels to tell the girls to go tell the boys? It doesn't really seem like he focuses much on telling the girls, hey, go tell the guys I'm raised from the dead. Like, I mean, it's kind of in there, but like it's sort of a secondary point. I would have made that the main point. He focuses on, no, no, tell them to go to Galilee. Tell them to go to Galilee. Jesus is so focused on getting them to Galilee that he's not even all concerned with them coming to see him like walk out of the grave. He'd rather them meet him in Galilee than meet him at the empty grave. That's how confident Jesus is in the future he's calling you into. That's how confident Jesus is in the salvation that he gives you. That's how confident Jesus is in this life, that he has, by his grace, given you the opportunity to be born again into, that the first thing he does after raising from the grave is call them into their future. Call them into their future. Easter, my friends, is the testimony that in Jesus there is always a future beyond your failure, and Jesus is way more confident in it than you are. You're like, well, I, I don't know. if I don't, I don't really believe it. It's like, that's fine. Jesus rose from the grave to give it to you. He feels good about it. He feels really good about it. So as we finish up these 12 weeks together, this biblical formation course that we have been taking together, how do we be a biblically formed people? As we finish up talking about salvation, I want to tell you this beautiful Easter morning. Three places that Jesus is inviting you out of. Three places Jesus is calling you out of. Three places that Jesus knows you really know how to get stuck in, but he didn't raise from the dead for you to get stuck in. Three places that you think you ought to live, but Jesus has more for you that he wants to let you know about. Three places. Anybody care about any of those? (laughs) Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday, Jesus coming out of the grave and calling his disciples to Galilee means that this isn't just a destination when you die. It means there's an invitation for you this morning out of Gethsemane. You are invited out of Gethsemane. Gethsemane was the last place where all the disciples got to be with Jesus before he was arrested, before he was crucified. It was the last place most of them saw him. It was the last place most of them heard him. That was their last memory and every single one of them in this last memory, all they could remember was the fact that every single one of them left him. The last thing they could remember was that they left him. The last thing they could remember was how they kept falling asleep when he was asking them to pray. The last thing they could remember was they let Judas kiss him The last thing they could remember is that they let him be walked out of that garden. I want to tell you this morning that because of the resurrection, Jesus is inviting you out of anybody that you've ever been, and he is inviting you into everything he's called you to be. Jesus is inviting you out of anything you've ever done, and he's inviting you into what he's calling you to. I don't know about you, but again, I can get so stuck in myself. I can get so caught up in my failures, in my weaknesses. I can get so caught up in the unknowns. I can get so caught up in all of my inabilities, and all of my questions. I mean, I was going to be honest this morning. Sometimes I sit there and I think about all that God could do with me if I wasn't so me. Much. I mean, he could do so much. And then I showed up. (laughs) He could do so much with me if I wasn't so me. Sometimes maybe you think about, yes, I know God is good and there's salvation and resurrection and God wants to change the world. Go make disciples of us. But I'm so me. I'm so me. Yeah, Pastor, but you've never seen me in Gethsemane. I run away. I let it all be taken away. The disciples, instead of going to Galilee like Jesus told them to before all of this, end up locked in a room, locked inside their heads. Just locked inside their heads in Jerusalem, distraught at all that had been lost and all the ways that they had failed. In Matthew 26, we read that Jesus tells all of them what's about to happen He says, you're all going to run away, and Peter, again, he's like, there's no chance, and Jesus is like, no, but seriously, though, yours is probably going to be the worst. Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times, and you can just see Peter looking him in the eyes, like, with all that fire in Peter's eyes, like, I will die with you, and he's offended, too, you know, I'm sure I'd be offended, for sure, like, Hurt, offended, passionate. I will never, there's no chance, I will die with you before I could ever deny you. And then what happens? He doesn't even really get threatened with being killed. He just has a couple little people ask him if they know Jesus, ask him if he knows Jesus. He denies even knowing Jesus. He curses all of them for even suggesting such an absurd fact. And the rooster crows. And maybe that's when he looked across the courtyard and saw the man that he had denied being taken away. What do you think Peter was thinking about in that locked room? What do you think Peter was thinking about in that locked room? No, I I said, maybe it's the same type of thing when you're like, no, I said I was never going to do that again. I said I would never do that. I said I wouldn't end up back here. I said I wouldn't put myself in this position again. I said I wasn't going to drop that ball again. I said I was going to be stronger this time. I said I was going to be more disciplined this time. I said that wasn't going to happen. Peter was thinking about the same type of thing that you think about when you're locked inside your head. It's just you in the car driving. It's just you in the shower thinking. It's just you you thinking about whatever it is that you're thinking about as I'm standing up here preaching this good news to you and it's just a pastor on a microphone who doesn't really know what's going on, but Jesus knows. So you know that you are stuck in Gethsemane when your failures are telling you that you are disqualified from your future. How do I know if I'm stuck in Gethsemane? It's got a big blinking neon sign that tells you exactly where you are. And it says your failure has disqualified you from your future. That's at the door of Gethsemane. Don't go through that door. When the blinking red sign, just, I'm going to turn around. We're going to go this way. That's how you know you are stuck in Gethsemane. My friend, you do not have a future because you are perfect. You do not have a future because you have done everything right. You have a future because Jesus is risen. This Easter morning, you are invited out of Galgotha. Galgotha is the hill where Jesus was crucified, the place of the skull. Like we talked about on Friday night, as Jesus is lifted up on that cross, it was at Galgotha where Jesus reveals to us the depth of and the destruction of our sin and that he paid our debt to sin. But the glory of the cross is not that Jesus is not just that Jesus got on the cross for you the glory of the cross is that Jesus got off the cross for you the Jews were coming. Jesus died in the middle of a festival. It was, it was celebrating a, a system of repetitive and cyclical sacrifices for the covering of sins. Every year there were times and festivals and feasts and sacrifices, various atoning sacrifices and rituals. And Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 through 3 says this. I didn't write that one down either. Give me David, my man. Therefore, since we are surrounded, that's the wrong one. I didn't give you this one. Turn to Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10. My bad. That's not your fault, David. You're amazing. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, a system of imperfect sacrifices that served as a reminder to sin. But the purpose of the cross is not to be a reminder of your sin. The sacrifices were a reminder of your sin. The cross is a reminder of your salvation. Hebrews 10 continues in verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The primary purpose of the cross, my friends, is not to remind you of your sin, but to remind you that your sin is paid for. By grace, you are no longer a sinner. By grace, you have been made a saint. God's highest concern is not who you have been. His highest concern is who he has purchased you to be. He's not waiting around for you to remember your sin. He is waiting for you to abide in him. He is waiting for you to believe in him. He is waiting for you to partner with him. He is waiting for you to obey him. He is waiting for you to just walk with him. He is not hanging on the cross anymore, waiting for you to feel bad. He is inviting you ahead to Galilee, my friends, where he can give you your new calling. Jesus didn't just pay for your sin on the cross. He purchased your future. Praise God. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. You're invited to leave the cross, not just come to it. You are invited, my friends, on Easter morning. You are invited out of the grave. You are invited out of the grave. I know I've already said this, but it is bananas to me that Jesus didn't invite everybody to come party at the empty grave. That's what I would have done. In in the other gospels, we learn that, uh, you know, the women are told, uh, go tell the guys, go to Galilee. Where do they go? They go to the grave. They They go straight to the grave to see it anyways. They run to see it anyways. But I'm just like, how, how, how is it that you raise from the dead after conquering sin and death and you don't just go nuts right there? You know, it's like the guards, okay? The only ones who saw it, what do they do? They go to the high priest people, and they're like, we can't let this word get out. And they give them a little bit of money, and these soldiers are like, yeah, I'll take the money and lie about this whole thing. Those are the only people Jesus showed this to. He just showed it to some people who could be bought, not even believe all of it. Like, this is crazy. How do you not do that? How do you not... Throw the party at the empty grave. The answer is because nobody throws a party at the starting line. On the cross, Jesus proclaimed that the payment of your sin is finished, but at the empty grave, your new life is just getting started. When you give your life to Jesus, you are not arriving at a destination, you are receiving an invitation you are receiving an invitation, an invitation to surrender your old identity as a sinner, to be purchased and be made completely brand new as a saint, to die his death to sin and be raised to live brand new life in Christ. God is not done with you yet. That's what Easter means. God is not done with you yet. God is not done with you yet. As we've already talked about, sometimes it's your failures that try to convince you that you're disqualified from your future. Sometimes it's sin that tries to make you think your sin is bigger than salvation. But sometimes, sometimes it's the good old days actually try to convince you your time has already come and gone. Sometimes it's the empty grave that makes you think your opportunity is past. Sometimes we can get so caught up in the good old days we can look back at the great things God did for other people, the great things God used to do for me, the times I used to burn, the times I used to be more healthy, the times back when I was younger, back when I was more passionate, back when I had more time. Back then, that's when God was really using me, but now I'm past all that. It's It's all past and gone, but Jesus is not calling you back to the last thing that he did. Jesus is not calling you back to the grave. He is calling you forward to glory. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and founder of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame, or sorry, (laughs) the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne throne of God my friends as long as you have breath in your lungs you have a race to run you have a fight to fight whether the past is full of failures or even when the past is full of success there is more ahead my friends there is more ahead my brothers and sisters you have a race to run you have a fight to fight no matter the highs or the lows, Jesus is calling you forward. In Philippians 3, the apostle Paul, he says it this way, and he, he's a good one to say this, because when you look behind Paul at this point in his life, there's a lot to see. There's, frankly, worse lows than what you've got. There's bigger highs than probably what you've got. And he looks back at all of it in Philippians chapter 3, and he says this. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on. I press on. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing I do, I've got a lot to think back on. I've got a lot I could get locked in my head. I could really tank myself on all the terrible things I've done. And let's be real, I could totally ride this sucker out on some highs that I've had too. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. You wanna know what spiritual maturity sounds like? The best is yet to come. You wanna know what spiritual maturity sounds like? It's not, oh, I got 30 years under my belt. Spiritual maturity is not, oh man, it's been a long time since I sinned last. Spiritual maturity is not I go to church most of the time. Spiritual maturity is not look at my pedigree. Spiritual maturity is I press on. I press on because there's more ahead. There is more ahead. There is always more ahead. God is not done yet. God is still moving. God's not done with me yet. No matter the highs, no matter the lows, spiritual maturity says I strain forward. This is still an upward call of God on my life. And the only testimony I need of it is that I just took another breath. I don't need a fresh word. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. <laughs> Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, what do we do? How do we respond to this? How do we respond to an empty grave? A Savior who would give Himself for us and resurrect Himself. the grave on our behalf. The best way we can honor Jesus for emptying out the grave is by leaving it behind and going to Galilee. The best thing you can do to honor Jesus is go forward. Go forward in the upward call of God. Yes, we need to worship him for his grace over our past. We need to worship him forever for paying our debt to sin. We need to remember also that the grave is empty, and then we've got to get up and we got to run. we got to run. We've got to go. We've got to go and strain forward in his strength, in our calling. How do we respond to an empty grave? How do we respond to the risen Lord Jesus? We've got to get going. Go, therefore. Go. Go. Go into all the world. Wherever you are, the best way you can respond to Jesus is go. Go where you are. Go to your workplace. Go to your family. Go to your friend group. Go to your neighborhood. Go to wherever you are. Go into whatever you're doing. Whatever you're doing, do it in the strength of Jesus. Whatever you're doing, do it in the risen power of Jesus. Whatever you're doing, just go do it. Go do it. Go do it and celebrate that Jesus is alive. Don't go do it in your strength. Don't don't go do it remembering your past. Go do it pressing on to the upward call of God. How do you respond to the resurrection? You live in the resurrection power. You go with the resurrection life of Jesus on full display for everyone to see. Don't hold back. Just go. Go. You are invited out of every place you've ever gotten stuck in. And Jesus is saying, hey, come on, let's go. I want you to stand as we close our time together. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up and be available to pray for anybody. If you need prayer for anything in your life, anything that you need in your life, you are at church on Easter Sunday, you can get prayer here. You may be stirred up that you need to leave something behind. You may need be stirred up that there's anything, something you need to confess and let behind and we'll step into the power of Jesus. You might be here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus. You're hearing about this good news and you're realizing, I have never surrendered my death to sin and received the life of Jesus. That invitation is wide open to you this morning. I'm going to invite everybody to close your eyes and bow your head as we pray together. And if you are here this morning and you're realizing it is time to give my life to Jesus and receive his, I want you to pray a prayer kind of like this out loud or in your heart. Jesus, I'm surrendering my life right now. I need your life. I'm asking that you would forgive me of all my sin. I'm asking that you would make me born again. I'm asking that you would receive me as a child and make me completely new. I'm asking that you would fill me with your resurrection life so that I can follow you all the days of my life. Lord, I'm praying for all of us that none of us would walk out of here stuck in the same stuff we walked in here stuck in. By the power of the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm praying that you would break off the power of sin and teach us to step in to the risen life of Jesus. We love you. Come and minister to us and lead us forward. In Jesus' name, amen.